0: All right, so
1: Matt, I was talking to this archaeologist the other day, um, and he actually discovered the largest lower leg bone that was ever recorded. So it was really, yeah, dinosaur leg bone and largest leg. But he said it was quite the shindig. <laughs> I swear, I didn't, I didn't
2: see that coming. <laughs> Good. <laughs>
1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam, and my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) all right everybody here we are
2: again matt how you doing tonight brother hey i'm good hey check it out so i've added some stuff to the graveyard now we've had some people ask for a behind the scenes tour of (laughs) uh of the graveyard east i don't i don't know i've i've if you want to know what's around me i think it's on a patreon Mm -hmm. uh video but uh but I have added some signs behind me, and uh, so if you're if I you're like video it. if you watch video, you can see my new additions. I like it <laughs> <laughs> right on cue as,
1: <laughs> as we're talking, it falls off. <laughs>
2: oh my god! <laughs> uh,
1: you couldn't ask for but those have been on there for an hour and a half. Since we started, we sat down to talk and stuff as he's, and they, it hasn't moved. As soon as he starts talking about it, the damn thing falls off.
2: <laughs> and what's funny is I went on and on about the, the, the mounting tape yeah. <laughs> that I used to put it on put I put it on there. And I was like, it ain't coming off. <laughs> And the thing fell. It fell off before we started, <laughs> and I and I had I had some lame excuse as to why it fell off, and then it's been up there forever. Uh huh. And and right as soon as I mention it, it falls. Yeah. I mean that is,
1: dude.
0: <laughs>
1: if I didn't know any better, I would have said that was a gag.
0: I wish
2: i wish it was <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh jeez so y- you guys are wanting to want to see the video of this episode yeah. i promise you <laughs> you're not going to want to miss that
2: so <laughs> oh man that is so funny <laughs>
1: that's great yeah if you're if you're not watching the video of this you're missing out and that that, we'll just go ahead and skip into something real quick. If you're not a patron, go to patreon.com slash and sign up to be a patron. Um, our $10 patrons get to see the video version of every episode that we record. So you get behind the scenes stuff. You get to see the signs fall off of Matt's wall. <laughs>
2: That's right up there with me getting chased by the wasp. And that was before we did the video. I know. I know. (laughs) I wish we'd have
1: had the video then. But uh, yeah, so if y'all want to see that, go over there, patreon.com slash graveyard tales. Sign up to be a $10 a month member um, and you get the video versions. You can see that. And while we're on that topic next week. You're going to want to watch the video version of that episode. We're not Absolutely. telling you what it is. You're just going to have to wait and see. But you're going to want to see it.
2: Yeah, 100%. So, again, I say this. If you've been on the fence and you've thought, you know, I really want to support the show, um, but I'm not sure. this This is the time. Yep. This is the time you get to see the sign falling. But the next (laughs) the next show, you are absolutely going to want to join us and and be able to see the video. I I promise you.
1: Yep. Yep. And if you all saw me then, I'll just say this. I'm not drinking a tall boy. This is liquid death water. I know it looks like a tall boy beer, (laughs) Um, but it it is water. It's Australian water, Um, not a sponsor trying to get them as a sponsor, but not a sponsor so if you follow liquid death on social media you should hit them up and just irritate them until they become a sponsor of graveyard tales (laughs) that's how we do things around here irritate into sponsorship
2: i swear i know i know adam and when i saw him pick up that can i was like (laughs) what the hell is he doing i was like this is I was like, he could have showed up, he could have dyed his hair purple, and I would have been less surprised than when I saw what looked like a tall boy beer in his hand. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, if you if if I am drinking a tall boy sitting here in the recording studio, that's when you need to worry about me. That's there's right. Some, something, there's something, something wrong. Something
2: has gone way off.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um. But... To get the housekeeping out of the way, go check out Podbelly, um, the Podbelly network at podbelly.com. Matt's wearing a Podbelly shirt there so you can uh, see their little logo, podbelly.com. You can find different shows to listen to and tricks and tips on how to record your own podcast. Um, We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Best Fiends, Every Plate, and Magic Spoon. And we'll talk a little bit more about them later. Want to say thank you real quick to the person who sent us the Black Monk of Pontefract book. Um, We know who you are. We're just not going to say your name on here because I don't know if you want us to say your name. But thank you very much for that. Um, That is a... Case that I have been interested in in a long time um, and have seen that book, just haven't gotten it. So thank you for that. Um, it's going to be a great read, and it probably will lead into us doing an episode on that. So you can say you had a hand in sponsoring that episode. Um, before we get into it, Matt I was just going to say that this episode is actually going to drop on Michael's birthday. Um. So the day after this episode drops, we're having a pool party for him. So I may—I don't know—I could be hurting after the pool party. <laughs> so our next recording session may have a, a hurt back or something.
2: What? Where's sunscreen?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, but it, it's been a long time since I've been to a pool party, so this will be interesting.
2: All right, Adam. Let's take a moment and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Magic Spoon. Now, when I was growing up, cereal was my breakfast of choice. Sure, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, I loved the the sugary, sweet cereals. I mean, I, it didn't really matter. I mean, heck, you know, I I, I ate just plain old cereal anytime. You know, <laughs> it was it was my go to. Okay, but now I understand. As an adult, um, I don't really want to have such a, a sugary sweet breakfast every morning, and that's where Magic Spoon comes in.
1: I tell you a uh, uh, guilty pleasure of me from a kid. Speaking of sugary cereals, I used to take those little puffed uh, puffed rice cereals that I'm not going to name and dump spoonfuls of sugar on top of it oh me too so that you know if if you want to talk to somebody that likes sugary cereals you're talking to the right two guys um but the good thing about magic spoon is there are zero grams of sugar so as an adult that's a lot better for you than spoonfuls of sugar on top of your cereal Um, and it's 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. There's only 140 calories as well. Now it's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb and GMO free. So it fits into a lot of diets or diet regimens that you may have. And you can actually build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry and cinnamon. And I tell you what, the the fruity ones are probably my favorite. Yeah, those are those are good. And
2: I I like the cinnamon uh, because mm-hmm. a cinnamon a cinnamon cereal is my all time favorite. Uh, so I really I really dig the cinnamon flavor. And and I've said before, m- one of my favorite midnight snacks is a bowl of cereal. And so now I don't have to worry when I grab the magic spoon box off the shelf at twelve thirty. Um, that, that I'm really putting in a lot of extra sugar and calories, uh, right before I go back to bed, um, I'm, I'm getting something that's a lot healthier.
1: Right. And if you're a fan of peanut butter cups like I am, they say if you mix the cocoa and the peanut butter together, it tastes just like a peanut butter cup. So that would be a good midnight snack for me. Now, you can go to magicspoon.com slash grave to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, at checkout and you can save $5 off your order.
2: Yeah, and Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash grave and use our promo code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E to save five dollars
1: on that note matt why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight brother
2: so tonight we're gonna get into um a weird little thing that is fairly fairly recent within the last 10 years and it's still going on now um out in the in the baltic sea There has been something found at the bottom of the Baltic Sea in an area between Sweden and Finland that nobody really knows what it is. There's a lot of speculation, Mm -hmm. um, but nobody is really sure, and it's been very difficult to go down there and and check it out. Uh, It's known as the Baltic Sea Anomaly. And we're gonna kind of dig into it and and talk about the history of the Baltic Sea and that area. And I know that sounds like oh my god, but yeah. I promise it. You need you need to understand some of the history because it will make the the theories of what this might be make more sense. Right. Um. But I, you know, this is something that is like I said it's it's fairly it's fairly recent and i don't know i mean i've i've looked at the pictures we're we're going to discuss it and and at, of course like every show we're going to let you decide what you think um but, but we're going to dig into this and talk about what it might be what it could be what it probably is all of that stuff so so adam let's take it away all right so
1: As we always say, go check our sources, go down to the bottom of the show notes and check our sources. You can find where we found all this information and continue the deep dive into it if you would like. Um, But like Matt said, we've got to look at the Baltic Sea itself before we can get into the anomaly. So let's take a little trip through the history of it and some facts about it and all that. Now, the Baltic is the youngest sea on our planet. Um, It emerged from the retiring ice masses only about 10,000 to 15,000 years ago. So that's pretty young in the history of the Earth. Now, the Baltic Sea is one of the largest brackish water areas in the world with a surface area of 420 square kilometers, 420,000 square kilometers. Um, The drainage area of the Baltic Sea is about four times larger than its surface area, and it's inhabited by around 85 million people. More than one third of the Baltic Sea is shallower than 30 meters, giving it a small total water volume in comparison to its surface area. The maximum measured depth is about fifteen hundred feet or four hundred and fifty nine meters, while the average depth is about hundred and eighty feet or fifty-five meters below the sea level.
2: So, so it's 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 shallow and and it's deep in spots. Mm-hmm. Um but um make sure everybody know what brackish water is. Brackish water, yeah, it's um it's where uh salt water and fresh water combine to where it, it, the salinity is not high enough to be saltwater, but it's too high to be freshwater,
1: right? And,
2: and and there are certain organisms that thrive in that particular environment,
1: right? And we'll get in here in just a second on where each of those waters come from. But Matt's right. There's um like if you live in Louisiana, there's spots of Louisiana um that I've actually fished that are brackish water because it's close to the mm-hmm. coast. But it gets fed by a river as well, and where they meet, it forms a brackish water area. So you've got uh, higher saline than you would want to drink, but lower saline than if you just took a gulp of uh, ocean water. So this goes on to say that the Baltic Sea is relatively isolated from other seas and has only a narrow connection to the North Sea through the Sound and the Belt Seas. Hence, it takes approximately 30 years for the Baltic seawater to fully be exchanged. So I don't know. People may not know that, too. But if you've got a lake. That is being fed by a river and then an outlet from that river, it has a turnover time. So Mm -hmm. water will pool in there, but it doesn't all just come in and wash out, you know, it's not a straight in, straight out kind of deal. So there is an exchange rate for the water in there. And this actually has a pretty slow exchange rate of 30 years. Now, this says marine water enters the Baltic Sea predominantly during winter storms. So these inflow events bring in water of higher salinity and also improve oxygen, oxygen conditions in the deep waters. Freshwater reaches the Baltic sea from numerous rivers corresponding to about one of the total water water volume per year. Um, so during overflow events, it'll bring in seawater and then it's being fed by uh, fresh rivers there. But it says together, these hydrological conditions give rise to the characteristic brackish water gradient of the Baltic Sea. Salinity can also vary depending on the depth because the density of water increases with salinity. Many sub-basins of the Baltic Sea are stratified with more saline water near the bottom uh, and water masses with lower salinity above. So, uh, the... The density of salt water is more than the density of fresh water. That's actually why you float better in the ocean than you do in a lake. If you go swimming in either, you'll notice you can float a lot easier in salt water than you can mm. a freshwater lake because it's denser, so it will hold you up. But when you mix the two, the salt water and the salt in the water can sink lower down. So the further down in the, uh, the Baltic Sea you go, the saltier it becomes. Now, this goes on to say that most of the species of marine origin in the Baltic Sea originate from a time when the sea was saltier. And since then, they have had limited genetic exchange with their counterparts in fully marine waters. So on a Baltic wide scale, marine species live side by side with freshwater species that reproduce in freshwater tributaries or which can tolerate the brackish conditions. The brackish water imposes physiological stress on both marine and freshwater organisms, but there are also several examples of genetic adaptation and diversification. Mm-hmm. So that's saying, basically, the brackish water for many of these creatures is a stressor, but they live there because it's, it's a better breeding ground or a better mating ground or the, the feeding is better there.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, they've, some, they've
2: adapted to it, and there's right. there's even hobby fish that are that prefer brackish water. So they you can actually they build, make build model airplanes aquarium.
1: or something. <laughs> hobby <laughs> yes. fish they they build model airplanes and
2: yeah they do, do quilting and yeah <laughs> paint by numbers right you know. Those yeah, little I'm, things, you you stick the little jewels on the picture, you know, oh, they do yeah.
1: all that stuff. Yeah. Bedazzle pictures. <laughs> I've actually uh, thought about, and uh, I, I, I'm not dumb, y'all. I know what he means by hobby fish. But I've thought about that um, when setting up some of our tanks that we've got. Yeah. Um, that I thought it would be really cool to do brackish water tanks. Yeah. But... When I was in high school, I was in a, a college class there taught at the high school. I was a science nerd in high school. I bet you couldn't guess that by what I do now. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in the saltwater aquarium research group. So after, after school, we took care of saltwater tanks at the school, and it was the first time our class was the first class that ever had a saltwater tank put in. So we were there with a the setup and I just saw how much it took to do a saltwater aquarium because we had tubs in the back of the back of the um, biology class that were saltwater that we were you know, getting ready to put in the tank. And then every day you had to check the salinity and all this, make sure. And I was like, no, I'm never having a saltwater tank unless I can pay no. for somebody to come in and take care
2: of. It. Yeah. It's a pain. It's a pain in the butt. I've done it. It's a challenge. So I'm not, I'm not planning on doing it again. No, sure All the way for me guys.
1: Right. Yeah. I'll get, I will do just a plain old goldfish tank before I do saltwater. water. So let's look at some interesting facts about the Baltic Sea that I found, just some little quick uh, facts here that we can talk about in between them. Um, now, the Baltic Sea can actually freeze. Now, since the 18th century, um, about 1720, it has frozen a total of 20 times. The most recent one actually happened in 1987. So that's not just saying a part of it. That's saying the whole thing, the whole Baltic Sea froze over. Uh, most recent was in 1987. So that's interesting. You don't hear mm-hmm. about many saltwater or brackish water seas that freeze. Um, in the Baltic Sea, there are both sea and freshwater creatures, like we talked about. Um, among marine fishes, there are cod, herring, hake, place, flounder, short horn, sculpin, st- uh, sticklebacks, and Turbo, um, and examples of freshwater species include perch, pike, whitefish, and roach. I don't know what roach is. I, I'm, I mean, I know what roaches are, but I don't know what the roach fish <laughs> is.
2: I've never heard of a roach fish.
1: Me either. Um, Google that. Send us pictures. Um, this is critically endangered populations of Atlantic white sided dolphins and harbor porpoises inhabit the sea um, where white colored porpoises have been recorded and occasionally oceanic and out of range species such as mink whales, bottlenose dolphins, beluga whales, orcas and beaked whales visit the waters. In recent years, very small, but with increasing rates, fin whales and humpback whales migrate into the baltic sea including mother and calf pairs so that's really cool they've got um, these marine whales and stuff that are actually endangered that can live in this brackish water so that shows you it's not as fresh a water as it is really brackish water you know otherwise they couldn't live in the in the sea there
2: yeah but a very unique place in a unique environment uh, for something like this to have been discovered.
1: Yes. Now, some of the biggest battles of World War I were actually fought in the Baltic Sea. You don't hear about that much, you know, unless uh-uh. you dive into the history of wars, you, you don't really think about that. Um, but World War I, a lot of the biggest battles were fought there in the Baltic Sea. And in World War II, Germany actually reclaimed all of the southern and much of the eastern shore by occupying Poland, Poland. And the Baltic States and during World War II, the Baltic Sea was polluted by some of the biggest countries in the world. They disposed of chemical weapons in the Baltic Sea, raising concerns of environmental contamination. So you're talking Germany, England, U.S. and some others were actually dumping um, chemical weapons into the Baltic Sea. Which that's a no-no guys. That, yeah, that's don't a no-no. That.
2: No. We're animal lovers here.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> you don't don't kill all that all that wildlife in there.
1: No. You'll you'll make a really angry graveyard if you start dumping um, chemical weapons into a sea. Now the Baltic Sea actually borders Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Russia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Poland and Germany um, actually have an acquaintance um, who has a podcast, the Eastern border podcast. He lives in Latvia. Um, y'all may know the Eastern border podcast, just kind of a random shout out to a podcast there. But if you ever wonder what life is like in Latvia and all that, go check out the Eastern border podcast. Um, on average, the Baltic sea is iced in winter for roughly half of its surface area. So when it isn't one of those random weird freeze overs, it it averages about half the surface area that freezes over. The ice reaches its maximum extent in February or March. And typical ice ice thickness, ice thickness, (laughs) um, my tongue just stopped working for some reason, in the northernmost areas um, in the Bothnian Bay... Um, and the northern basin of the Gulf of Bothnia is about 70 centimeters or 28 inches for land-fast sea ice. The thickness decreases the further south you go. So 28 inches, Matt, of, that's how thick the ice can get.
2: That's pretty thick. Yeah. I mean, you, you, could, you could skate on that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. You, you might even
1: be able to drive trucks on it like uh, rednecks do here in the U.S.,
2: yeah if you got a
1: good frozen over lake i guarantee you uh one of our redneck brethren is going to be driving a a pickup truck or suv all over that
2: yeah i left my i I know that i left my ice fishing shed right here last year Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i can't seem to find it this year
1: yeah i don't know where it went (laughs) went away for the summer i come back and the shed's gone i don't understand now this says, in addition to fish, the sea also provides amber, especially from its southern shores um, within today's borders of Poland, Russia, and Lithuania. Now, first mentions of amber deposits on the south coast of the Baltic Sea date back to the 12th century. So, amber washes up on the shores there in Poland, Russia, and Lithuania, which would that not be cool Yeah. to, to find amber while you're walking on the beach? Yeah. There was a story, though, another random weird tangent, sorry, um, of a lady who was on a beach. She picked up what she thought was a piece of amber and put it in her pocket. She got back to the hotel and all of a sudden her pants catch fire and her leg is burning. She her husband rips off her shorts, you know, to stop the burning or whatever. Well, she has to go to the hospital, obviously. And she ends up having to have skin grafts and stuff. It was a chemical from a chemical weapon that is stable in water. But when it dries out, it catches fire.
2: Holy crap.
1: And it looked just like a chunk of amber. So she put it in her pocket, right? She's, her pants, her shorts are wet from being on the beach and all that. But by the time she gets back to the, the hotel room, her pants have dried out enough for this chemical to become unstable. And it just burst into flames in the dry air. And I, I, you'll have to look that up to know what the name of the chemical was. But that is just a PSA from Graveyard Tales. If you find amber that's not in the Baltic Sea, put it in something. Don't put it in your pocket. You know, yeah. Set it aside. Let it dry out to make sure that it's not whatever this chemical was. Because this lady's leg was messed up. It was bad chemical burns down into the muscle of her leg because of whatever that was. And apparently it came from a chemical weapon that was dumped, not on purpose, but, you know, fired. And then didn't go off like a sea mine or something like that. And it didn't go off. And it was just sitting in the, the ocean there. And it ended up washing up onto the thing. Now, while Matt looks this up, um, I'm going to keep going here. <laughs> we'll return to this in a minute when he figures out what it is. Now, this uh, the last one I got here says, In the early Middle Ages, Vikings of Scandinavia built their trade emporia all around the Baltic Sea. Later, there were fights for control over the sea with windish tribes dwelling on the southern shore. Do you find anything yet, Matt? N- nothing
2: that identifies what that is particular chemical would be a lot of arsenic stuff Mm. it could be um, mustard gas huh it says scientists from the baltic countries and russia have found lethal material mixed in with sediments and highly toxic sulfur mustard gas transformed into brown yellow clumps of gel washed ashore Hmm. Yeah, they said they fishermen have brought up damaged chemical bombs, uh, or even whole chemical bombs in fishing nets. And they said they've had, uh, it, per this particular article, which was from 2003, said that year they had had 10 cases of people finding chemical bombs in the Baltic Sea. Wow, that's just insane. It says several fishermen have been treated for burns and other poisoning symptoms after handling leaking shells.
1: Yeah. That's yeah,
2: the We don't know for sure that it was mustard gas for this lady, but that seems to be one of the most common ones.
1: Yeah.
2: And that is nuts. You know, if if, if you didn't have enough to be worried about, you know, jumping in the water like that, now you gotta be worried right. about hey, there's jellied mustard gas floating around in here.
1: Yep, exactly. So that just that just goes back to that um, PSA. If you find something, don't keep it on your person unless you know right. it's a shell. If it looks like a rock or a gem or something like that, set it aside. Don't handle it. You know, you can take it if you feel inclined, but pick it up with a cup or something.
2: I thought you were going to say it was. It turned out to be amber grease, and she she sold was a millionaire. It. Yeah, she's a millionaire
1: now. (laughs) I wish, man. I I keep hoping to find something like that. Every time we go to Florida, I'm like, man, let me find something like that on the beach. But I can't even find a fully intact sand dollar. So yeah, I I don't have high hopes for ambergris or anything like that. So real quick, before we get into the anomaly that Matt's got, I want to tell you guys one quick legend that comes from the Baltic Sea. And it has to do with the amber. But it also is just. Um, um, something cool to know. About the legend around here. Now. the a story about Harata. And Kestitis, And forgive the pronunciations. But. Um, it's a traditional legend. From Lithuania. Which has its roots in the Baltic mythology. Um, but is written for the first time in the romantic narrative of the 19th century. Um, It is a story of fearless love and godly power that tries to explain the origins of natural elements from the Baltic Sea. So it says Hirata was the goddess of the sea. Um, Hura actually means uh, the sea. So basically the name translates to that. Um, who lived under the waves of the Baltic Sea in a beautiful castle made of amber. She was the queen of the sea, and so she ruled over all the maritime creatures and maintained the peace and balance between them. Harata was a kind queen. She established laws to protect her sea creatures. One law did not allow anyone to set traps that caught too many fish at one time. Though Harata liked to eat flounder and had it served at the palace... She ordered her servants to keep only half of each fish to th- and to throw the other half back to the sea. These fish have stayed alive because of her magical powers. So if you know anything about flounder, that's why flounders are flat, according to this legend.
2: Oh, okay. But uh, I don't know too many kind queens that eat their subjects. <laughs> no, but... If they're I mean, going to stay alive, I guess, you
1: know, if, if you're subject over sea creatures, sea creatures are tasty. So you <laughs> just had, they just have to understand, look, you're going to live because I'm going to keep you living, but I'm taking half your body. Hope yeah. you don't mind.
2: And I'm going to eat it.
1: Yes. Now this, this goes on to say one day, a young fisherman named Castitus was fishing near her castle. He was a very talented fisherman and that day he was catching in his nets a big amount of fish. This made Harata angry, as she thought he was disturbing the calmness of the ocean by taking too many animals at one time. She decided to punish the fisherman in order to restore the peace of her kingdom. But when she faced Castitus, they fell hopelessly in love with each other. Now, they lived happily together in Harata's amber castle for some time, but their happiness was not to last. Perkunas, the god of thunder the most powerful and feared of the Baltic gods, was the father of the Sea Queen. And he ended up discovering the affair between Herata and Kistaitis. And he got furious with Herata, not only for daring to love a mere human, which was not allowed for the gods as they were superior creatures, but also because she had been promised to marry the god of water known as Patrimpas. Out of his rage, Perkunas Used his lightning bolts to kill Castitus and struck the undersea amber palace, reducing it to ruins. As to Herata's destiny, she was tied to the ruins of the castle to spend her life there to uh, to eternity. The legend says that until today, Herata still mourns in her underwater prison for the loss of Castitus. It also says that this is the reason why little pieces of amber keep arriving to the shores and beaches of the Baltic Sea. They are what remains of Harata's undersea palace after the uh, strike of the god of thunder. Those which uh, have a shape that looks like small amber tears are said to be the most precious, as they are the tears of Harata that arise from her imprisonment to the shore during the stormy days that shake the ocean.
2: Oh, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I thought it was kind of neat. It yeah. kind of explains the amber, you know, in a, a folklorish way why the amber keeps washing up on the shore.
2: Yeah, and I I mean that that's a that's a really great story to explain that. I mean it well, I, I like it. Yeah. You know, it, it's not I I'm not gonna run out there and, and start hunting for amber because, you know, I don't want my leg burned. right um right but maybe that maybe they take the legend further you know the amber is cursed yeah there you go you take the amber it'll burn your leg but yeah that's all i got on the uh
1: legends there um i thought it'd be a cool thing and so matt has what basically the meat of this story, what what we are titling this episode, he's got the info on the Baltic Sea anomaly.
2: Yep. So the meat's been on the grill and now it's ready to serve. <laughs> All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Best Fiends. Now, I I enjoy puzzle games on my phone. They they're they're easy to pick up and play. Um, they're challenging and they kind of give your brain a little bit of a workout. Okay. Um, that's why I really like best fiend. I mean, it, it's, it's a matching game, but it's Mm -hmm. not like any other matching game that you've played. I mean, the, the, the colors and the characters are so bright and unique and even funny Uh, it's really it really takes that that old traditional i'm gonna switch this and this and match them up and it puts a whole new spin on it that keeps the game fresh it keeps you interested and it really does it gives you kind of this mental workout
1: it does and you know i i'm too embarrassed to tell you what level i'm on because um you know, as we've said before, Ashley and Amanda are way better at it than we are. But I'll tell you, they're uh, they're around the level thousand or so. Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe more. Um, I quit asking because they're smoking me. Um, but <laughs> even though I'm not that good at it, I mean, it's still it's fun. Um, I actually got my dad into playing it um, and he's not a big phone game kind of person, but through our recommendation, he picked it up, started messing with it, and he texted me the other day and he said, you know, I'm really liking this Fiends game, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a good game. Uh, so if my dad enjoys it, I know that you guys will enjoy it, and if you have any time to play, even if you're not on Wi-Fi, you can play it because it doesn't require phone data or anything like that to play so you can download the five-star rated puzzle game best fiends for free you can do it today do it after you listen to this do it while you're listening to this all you got to do is go on the apple app store or on google play remember that's friends without the r best fiends
2: that's right you can download the five-star rated puzzle game best fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best fiends. So yeah, we're gonna get into the into the anomaly. So on June nineteenth, two thousand eleven, the Swedish-based Ocean X team used side scan sonar to quote-unquote, photograph a massive object deep in the Baltic Sea, approximately 260 feet below the surface in the area between Sweden and Finland. Um, Now, this object is a large circular formation that resembles the Millennium Falcon. Okay, if you're a Star Mm -hmm. Wars fan, you know. Heck, if you're not a Star Wars fan, you know that that's an iconic shape there.
1: Sure,
0: yeah.
2: And, and it's been subject to speculation for the last 10 years. Now, the team claims that their image shows a 60-meter or 200-foot diameter circular object with features that resemble ramps, stairways, and other structures not produced by nature. Now, marks in the sea floor extending away from the object have been described as skid marks, perhaps indicators of a crash landing. OceanX leader Peter Lindbergh has described the object as potentially being an underwater Stonehenge, Atlantis, or a sunken UFO. So, you know, the you know ocean x has has purported all i mean these are these are big ideas here oh sure you know especially that, atlantis
1: yeah that that's a speculation that i mean the atlantis thing uh, i want us to dive no pun intended into the atlantis thing at some point but that's a big claim that's yeah. something that people have been trying to find for a long, long time. And so to mm-hmm. claim this is part of Atlantis, that, that's wild.
2: But others have said that it could be an anti-submarine device left over from World War II mm-hmm. or a battleship gun turret. But scientists insist that it's nothing more than an interesting rock formation caused by glacial deposits during the Ice Age. You know, so so the Baltic Sea was formed sometime after the Ice Age. That's why it, it's not as old as the other mm-hmm. seas around the planet. But we're going to get into this a little bit about why that is, you know, the, the history of the sea that, that Adam gave us and why this idea of the glacial deposits is so crucial to the speculation as to what is actually down there.
1: Right. Remember, 10... 10,000 to 15,000 years ago is when the sea was first formed after the ice masses retreated.
2: Yeah. Um, In June of 2012, the OceanX team returned to the site to try and get a clear image. However, according to the team, whenever they got within 200 meters of the object, their electronic equipment failed. When they would get out of that 200-meter range, the equipment would function correctly. Now Stefan Hogerborn, uh, who is a professional diver with OceanX, said, quote, anything electric out there, and the satellite phone as well, stopped working when we were above the object. Then when we got about 200 meters, it turned on again.
1: Just weird.
2: It is weird, and I know there's a lot of natural things that can cause electronic failure. Um, you know, there's been areas with, you know, high level of, of magnetic rock that can cause, uh, you know, faults with electronic equipment, mm-hmm. but there's been no indication that there's anything magnetic there. But again, they haven't studied it close enough to, to make those kind of determinations. And again, this right. is, these are claims by the team that found the object.
1: Yeah, it it you would have to be a big mass of magnetite for it to do that.
2: From two hundred meters, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and through water. Yes. I mean, so I mean, we're we're talking about something that would have to be a pretty powerful magnetic field to affect something at the surface. But, you know, we've seen stranger things. Ocean X has found that over the years securing funding for additional excursions to investigate further the object has been more than difficult in July of 2020 team member Dennis Orsberg started a goFundMe page to support their continued research So before we look into the anomaly let's take a look at the ocean X team you know let's let's dig into the guys that actually found this thing
1: right, please do.
2: Now, Ocean X Team AB is a Swedish registered company with the purpose of searching for hidden treasures and historic artifacts. The company started in the beginning of the 1990s when Peter Lindbergh and his partners found a sunken American B 17 bomber near the Swedish East Coast, followed by the famous discovery of the Swedish schooner Yakomping. And the salvage of a lot of champagne and cognac bottles from the shipwreck. Now this this was a pretty newsworthy story because sure, yeah. this this particular booze that they were able to recover sold for a ton of money. Oh yeah, um, you know it, it was it was collectible to say the least, but um, it was actually still drinkable. So. Yeah, you know, these these guys, these big, you know, wine collectors, you know, they wanted their hands on this stuff because, you know, it it was it was super rare. You weren't going to be able to get any more.
1: Mm-hmm. I've heard people say that the wine that they find on shipwrecks actually has some of the best flavor after being aged like that. If it's been sealed in the bottle there's yeah. something about that aging process of that far down in the ocean you know, out not in the sun and a constant temperature and, and right. something like that that causes this alcohol to age in a certain way where it's so unique, but it's one of the best flavors of wine or, or um, alcohol that they've had. Yeah. It's, it's interesting.
2: Yeah. Now, some years after that, Uh, Lindbergh was accompanied with, uh, Orsberg and together they formed the company, which is now the ocean X team. Now ocean X goes on to say this, and I, I got this from their GoFundMe page. Our work consists in time consuming research in different kinds of sources. We spend a lot of time seeking information in libraries and official registers that are provided by the authorities as well as private subjects. Sometimes this work uncovers hidden information regarding sunken ships or other vessels or objects, which may be interesting enough for us to continue researching. During the years, we have performed many exciting and thrilling investigations and expeditions. We have come across several interesting cases and mysteries. Many of them have shown to be dead ends, but some of them must be regarded as relevant in such an extension that we have decided to investigate them further. So, they're They're a treasure hunting group, yeah, but the, you know the thing about a treasure hunting group is you know they're they're well seasoned, you know they you know they're they're used to looking at the bottom of the ocean um they they know pretty well what to expect to be down there and how right. to identify certain things, because look, a, a really old shipwreck, it's not just sitting down there all nice and pristine. Sure. Yeah. Um you know it it is decayed it has you know most likely been taken over by uh marine life
1: and coral you know, d- and
2: coral and 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 different uh different organisms that begin to degrade the wood and the metal and it can be tough to identify from the surface if you're going solely on sonar. So you get you get a feel for well, that looks like it could be a ship, but it's probably this because of where we are. You know, we've seen something like this before. We know that's not what it is. Uh, So they're used to looking at this kind of stuff. Now, they go on to say to be successful in this kind of activity, we don't don't only need to do good research work. We also need good equipment and good personnel. In addition to that, we need a good portion of luck. Unfortunately, this is not enough. We also need financial means that are necessary to enable the performance of the investigations and the expeditions equipment and personnel are not for free. We are in a current situation where we have spent almost all of our private savings and there's still a lot to do, which is now stopped because of lack of money. Now Mm -hmm. they have not been back. Um, I, I, I did find an interview with Peter Lindbergh from 2019 where he hinted at the potential of a television series um, that could possibly be funding their next expedition, now, I couldn't find evidence that anything has come beyond a single episode that came out on October thirty first, two thousand twenty. Uh, that's available on Amazon Prime Video, and it you, you know I think it's like two ninety nine, three ninety nine, yeah. um, but it's pretty pretty interesting. You get to see the team. You get to talk about what's down there. You get to hear some of the researchers. You hear some of the speculation and you even hear some of the, the scientists that have have st- studied the material that they've brought back um, and, and you get their input on what it might be. It says uh, So to be clear here, these guys are no slouches. Okay. They know what they're doing. I mean, Peter Lindbergh and Dennis Orsberg are not a couple of casual divers that came across something that they misidentified as being mysterious. They've got a good knowledge of the sea and do in-depth research before they set out on these expeditions. Now, this is important because when we look at what some of the experts say about the anomaly, remember, these guys know what they're doing, okay? I mean, you know, they're not amateurs by any means. Now, after the discovery, Ocean X gave samples of stone from the object to Volker Bruchert, who is an associate professor of geology at Stockholm University. Now, the Swedish tabloids will quote Bruchert as saying, I was surprised when I researched the material and found a great black stone that could be a volcanic rock. My hypothesis is that this object, this structure, was formed during the Ice Age Many thousands of years ago. Even if it's not something as cool as a crashed UFO, it's still something pretty cool and unique. Okay. And Bruchert is pretty much saying that. He's just not, Mm -hmm. he's not buying into all of the, all of the, you know, sensational headlines.
1: Sure. Yeah.
2: But, you know, it does appear that an expert is backing up their claim that this seafloor object is unexplained. And perhaps is an Atlantis-like ancient building complex. Now, to double check, um, the group Life's Little Mysteries consulted uh, Bruchert. Now, it turns out neither he nor any of the experts contacted about the Baltic Sea object think that there's anything mysterious about it at all. Okay. Again, you can you can take someone's words and you can kind of twist them around to make it sound like, you know, hey, yeah, this thing is really strange. Right. Um, Power of editing. Yeah. Bruchert wrote in an email, it's good to hear critical voices about this Baltic Sea mystery. What has been generously ignored by the OceanX team is that most of the samples they have brought up from the sea bottom are granites, neses and sandstones, which are common.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's there's some conflicting information here. Um, when you when you go on the Ocean X website, you will see some information that indicates that the object, the anomaly is metal. okay? Right. but none of the none of the documentation of what has been brought to be researched is metal. It's all stone. Now, it's, it's strange, especially the volcanic stone, because they, they don't have any evidence that there's a volcano in that area. Okay, so how yeah, would it get... that's to? weird. Now, there are some ideas, and I'm going to touch on this in a minute, that glaciers moving from one area to another could have brought stone that would not be expected to be seen in this area... To this area and as the glacier melted the stone was deposited on the bottom of the sea that's that um that's that glacial deposit is um what i mentioned earlier right and
1: i have some theories as well that um when you get done with it and we're kind of talking about it I, I got a theory i want to throw at you and see what you think
2: okay so bruchard goes on to explain that This is exactly what one would expect to see in a glacial basin, which is what the Baltic Sea is a region carved out by glacial ice years and years ago. But along with the mundane rocks, the divers also gave him a, gave him a single loose piece of basaltic rock. It's a type of rock that forms from hardened lava. This is the volcanic stone I was mentioning. Now, As Burchard said, this is out of place on the seafloor, but it's not unusual because the whole northern Baltic region is so heavily influenced by glacial thawing, both the feature and the rock samples are likely to have formed in connection with glacial and post-glacial processes. This is possibly, as I mentioned earlier, these rocks were transported there by glaciers. So it's unusual, but it's not unheard of or, you know, it, it Extremely mysterious because there's a legitimate explanation for how those rocks got down there. Yeah. Now, glaciers often have rocks embedded in them. And at the end of the ice age, when the glaciers across Northern Europe melted, the rocks inside them dropped to the Earth's surface, leaving rocky deposits all over the place. And these are sometimes called glacial erratics or balancing rocks.
1: You see those in New York. Um, if you're actually in New York in some of the parks that they have around there, there are those erratics, just big random stones in yeah. the middle of these parks. And that's what they're from when um, the glaciers had covered at least half of the United States way back when. That, that's what those erratics are from. So if you're trying to make a connection with it and you're up north, that that's what it is.
2: Yeah. Um. Now, seabed sonar scanning expert Dan Fernari, who is a marine geologist at the Woods Hole Ocean- Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts. Say that three times fast. Yeah, I'm OK.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, Fernari said that the sonar image has numerous artifacts in it that make it difficult to interpret. And he says, I would not place too much confidence in any interpretation until a better processing is done and the details of the type of sonar and particulars are provided. So I'm saying the data is lacking in resolution, detail, and quantification. So essentially he's saying, okay, we can see this object, and, and yes, it looks odd. It looks out of place, but the image we have is not clear enough to make these type of inferences. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny. I mean, you can look at this image and you can see what they're talking about. You you can see that it 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 indeed looks like there are parts of it that are man made. Um, you know, the the structure as a whole doesn't necessarily look man made. It it is oddly shaped, but I mean circular rock formations are not unheard of. So, it, it's really difficult based on this one image to say for sure it's a rock formation or it's you know something way out of the ordinary.
1: Right. I wish we had more photos. I I I, I, I know they're they're restrained by m- money and and stuff to get out there, but. I really wish we had more photos and divers that could go down and take closer pictures of it rather than just sonar of it.
2: And, you know, what's this is baffling to me, that in 10 years they have not been able to secure any kind of funding to go back. Yeah. Um, You know, even with some of their other treasure hunts that they wouldn't be able to. To do it on their goFundme page their um the denomination is in Swedish krona, and I was telling Adam before we started they have a goal of five hundred thousand Swedish krona of which, according to what I looked at last night, they've got about seven thousand of that's about that's a little over eight hundred dollars u s right that's not enough
1: <laughs> no
2: and and if if my uh if if my googling was accurate, then five hundred thousand Swedish krona is only about sixty thousand dollars us mm mm-hmm. so I mean you know you you can't you can't buy a new pickup truck for that right you think some maybe. somebody would have said, here you know write them a check let's find out what the heck this thing is
1: yeah I was gonna say maybe our our graveyard tells listeners, can find that GoFundMe link and we can, you know, this money donated from Graveyard Tales family, y'all go find out what it is and tell us what it is.
2: So apparently the exchange rate is about, 12, the The Swedish krona is uh, about 12 cents to the dollar. Right. right. So it, it's, I would think, you know, if you went over there with a whole bunch of US dollars, you could, you could buy a lot of stuff. Heck, I'm,
1: I, may donate to, uh, I may donate to this GoFundMe just because I'm so curious.
2: Well, I tell you what, one thing that that orsberg says in a in a separate interview um, that I uh, I looked into and will probably do is you can also, without just making a straight donation to their GoFundMe page, he encourages folks to go buy Ocean X uh apparel. And yeah if you ha if if you go to their website, you know, their their logo is really cool. Their the ship that they have, which is the Ocean X Explorer, looks like something out of Star Trek. Okay? I mean, it is it is badass. I mean, it yeah. is unbelievable. Um and so I thought, you know what? I may not want to just pitch some money at a GoFundMe, but I, I would love to have you know an ocean x t-shirt or something like that you know that would be mm-hmm. kind of cool and that money would go to them and help you know help fund their expeditions right so if, if you've if you're inclined to do so you know that'd be you, you get something cool out of it and you know it's going toward learning more about what's down there
1: there you go there now, you
2: go um Now, Charles Paul, who is a senior scientist at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute in Moss Landing, California, says that even if the formation were real, it would be something as mundane as a circular rock outcropping or the result of fluid or gas venting. Now, this venting causes inexplicable and poorly understood structures like pockmarks, which are circular depressions that Paul has seen all around the world. In one area off California alone, he said he has mapped more than 1,400 such pockmarks. So again, the ocean floor is something that's not been heavily explored. Um, And there's a lot of stuff down there that could look like something else. But another explanation is even, it's even less exciting than a UFO. You know, the the disc shaped formation and the tracks seen, you know, in just three hundred feet of water could have been caused by a fishing trawl. For for example, Paul says the jaws or opening of a trawl could easily have struck the bottom elsewhere and dropped a disc like mound of sediment or a trail of pebbles that make up the track marks. Or another researcher says that the image could simply be fish fish okay fish in the baltic sea
1: i'm gonna give you another we we are
2: we are getting less and less exciting
1: yep (laughs) for sure
2: and uh he says i've been fooled hundreds of times when using side scan sonar which is what ocean x used to find this to get this image into thinking i found something when it's just an outcrop or a school of fish so if it's a school of fish, it's not still there. Right. You know, right. they're not just hanging out. It's not like a fish club down there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say they just got a dance club, and that's the dance floor. That-
2: and and they were able to go back a year later. You know, that's when they noticed the electronic oddities. Mm-hmm. So they, it, it's not gone. You know, at least right. it wasn't gone a year later. So it it should still be there. Now... Side-scan sonar has been used to look for shipwrecks for a long time, and the key, they say, is to turn the ship around and double-check anything that looks as interesting as Lindbergh's image, which they apparently did not do when they first found it. Hmm. They said, the 2D images that side-scan sonar creates can reveal sunken ships or even underwater mines, but it doesn't give you a 3D image, nor does it directly measure water depth. Substances that reflect light differently than their surroundings can also fool side-scan sonar. Said it's really difficult. Side-scan sonar is an art form. So...
1: I get that. I mean, it's like reading anything. I mean, you have to... If you're in the military, you have to take training to learn the sonar and stuff. So I, I get that.
2: Yeah. So looking at these images... And there's, there, there's, there, there's several illustrations, so you have to be careful. As far as we know, there is only the one. Okay? The, the one image is really all we have. And that was the original one that was taken in June of 2011. Now, there are plenty of illustrations, plenty of artist renderings based on that particular image. Right, but there is only one image, and when you look at it, it's like I said, it's very. Um, I've
1: been sitting here looking at pictures while you're talking of it. You know, wow.
2: it, it it is it is it's very different. Um, the the lines in it are straight. There there are um. The, there are parts of it that 100 percent do not look naturally made no i mean it does it does resemble the millennium falcon there make you,
1: sure you're looking at the right image though because uh, for anybody that is looking this up while we're talking there are artist renderings right of it and when you see the artist renderings you go well that is a ship yeah, that, that looks just like a ship. Make sure you're looking at, you know. I hate to say this, but maybe the Wikipedia image or something yeah. like that.
2: The the you'll know you're looking at the right one. Um, the image will be kind of a a, a dark bluish color.
1: Yeah, bluish, um, purplish. Yeah the
2: the anomaly is in the upper left hand corner, and you can kind of see what we're talking about. You will see plenty of artist renderings that a hundred percent look like some type of ship or a part of a building Mm -hmm. i mean no doubt but again these you got to remember some of these images look 3d this side scanning sonar does only provides a 2d image like a photograph right but when you when you look at it it it's I don't know, man, you know, just, just looking at it now, there are, there are definite parts where it has definitive outlines, um, and, and, and edges and in the, in the original image, you can see what, what would look like possibly a ramp, you know, in that, Mm -hmm. in the, the right center of it but it's i mean again it's so difficult to to tell i think that's why you know a, a, additional research needs to be done
1: you absolutely know,
2: more samples i mean it's 300 feet i mean you know they mm-hmm. they dive lower than that all the time i mean you you right. you think it would be reasonable that they could get down there and and see it and uh, I don't know. It, it, they might be making a mountain out of a molehill, but it. I think it's worth looking into, it, and even sure. if it is just a rock formation, it's cool and it's very unique. And I think it would be valuable to have that information. You know, to figure if,
1: out why it's shaped that way.
2: That exactly. Yeah. You know, and and if there's volcanic rock in there, if it's made up of some unique kind of rock that that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Even if there's a really good explanation for how it got there, then we know more.
1: Yep, exactly. And I I
2: never, I never, ever think that learning more about the planet that we live on is a bad thing, even if it, even if it's not shaded towards the paranormal.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The more information we have, the better. And that would even lend to the paranormal because the more you know about the natural world... The more you can say, okay, this is definitively something paranormal or this is something normal. Yeah. You know, if you know more about the normal. All right, Matt. So let's talk about a longtime sponsor of Graveyard Tales, and that's Every Plate. Now, just so everybody knows, every plate is now owned by HelloFresh and they are a leading meal kit company. So you hear us talk about HelloFresh all the time. Every plate is a part of that HelloFresh family. So you can get the wide array of offerings from every plate like you can from HelloFresh. And it says you experience full plates and fuller wallets with America's best value meal kit. Every plate makes home cooking easy and affordable as a much cheaper alternative to takeout, but just as delicious. Now, every plate provides easy to follow recipe cards and pre-portioned ingredients so you can spend less time prepping and cooking and more time enjoying good food with family or loved ones.
2: Yeah, and we love every plate. When, when the every plate box shows up at the house, my kids go nuts. For for many reasons. Number one, They know they're going to get to help prepare dinner that night. I mean, you you get the recipe card. It's easy to follow. um, You get all the ingredients that you're going to need. So there's no digging around in the cabinet for some odd spice or anything like that. You've got it all right there in front of you. And they also know that they're going to have a great meal. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything you get is going to be fresh and it's going to be delicious. So, if you're looking for a way to, to knock out those extra grocery store trips and yet still have a good quality, healthy restaurant meal in the comfort of your own home, then every plate is definitely the way to go. So, Graveyard Tales listeners can try every plate for just $1.99 per meal. Plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering our promo code Graveyard199. That's G-R-A-V-E Y-A-R-D 199.
0: That's
1: right. Get started with Every Plate for just $1.99 per meal plus an additional 20% off another 2 weeks by going to everyplate.com and entering our promo code graveyard199, g r a v e y a r d 199. So let me give you my my thinking here on it. Either Yes, one, we're looking at 100% normal rock formation that's just deteriorated over time. It was something maybe taller, a more cylindrical tall thing that has been weathered and worn down to that and maybe hitting, hitting, maybe been hit by (laughs) fish, uh, fishing trawlers or something and knocked pieces off, whatever. Or... You know, it's a formation from one of these disposed chemical weapons that blew up part of it and caused that problem, or the more out there theory, but to me, plausible theory that not an alien craft is this is part of a... Temple or building of an old civilization.
2: Right. That's, that, e- that's exactly what I'm thinking.
1: Yep. I, that it, it just covered over now because of the rising sea levels after the Ice Age, but it was some type of, not Atlantis, but like an old, a tribe of old, older um, humans built some worship center or something. And then it's just deteriorated to this and we're left with what we see here that kind of looks like a flattened out, you know, Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like to me that could be a possibility that it's it's a building that has been flooded over.
2: Yeah. Um I, I think the UFO thing strictly comes from the fact that it it looks like the Millennium Falcon. Sure. And so that that just starts leaning people towards some some type of spacecraft. Um, I I don't I don't believe that, um, but I do like the idea that it it's a it's a part of some older structure. Yep. Um, but I I'll go a step further and say that maybe we're not looking at the base of this structure. We're looking at more along the top. And oh yeah, that something is is buried below there. Now that's how, a
1: good thought too.
2: How easily that would be to excavate underwater, I don't know. Um, I can't imagine that it would be simple, and it would probably be a no. huge financial undertaking. Yep. Um, but I think if if they could get back down there, find some more evidence that there is something very unique about the anomaly itself that would probably prompt researchers, um, you know, to seek out funding from, you know, greater sources.
1: Right. And if they had like a ground penetrating radar type thing that they could take down there, they could see underground and see if there's anything else connected to it. And that would explain why there is volcanic type rock in a place that, volcanic type rock shouldn't be right this older civilization brought it there to use in the building of this temple or or whatever
2: yeah now like we said you can you can find some artist renderings now there are some that are they they've just been enhanced um but some of the enhanced pictures you know they they really they exaggerate the lines and the borders. Um, you know, if you're looking at anything that looks like it's 3D, it's it's really been it's really been enhanced, and and yes, it it may not actually look like that at all. Um, and when you compare it to the original image, you can you can really see where some folks have taken some artistic license here. Um, but it it is it is fascinating. When you, when you look at it, cause it, there's nothing else around it that, that looks even remotely like that or that it belonged to it. Right. So I think that, that getting down there and, and finding out some more about the anomaly is, is key. Um, yep. it's, it's a cool mystery, um, that may not be a mystery at all, but with anything you gotta, you gotta hunt more.
1: Yeah, we're not going to know until we investigate.
2: You know, so maybe if you've got an extra 60 grand in your pocket, you throw <laughs> it at these guys and go go down there and find out what it is. Um, right. You know, but like I said, you know, if if you wanted to donate to this cause, you know, they do have a GoFundMe page. Um you know, you can purchase, you know, Ocean X um um uh, apparel and and things I'm like gonna that. I'm going
1: to buy me a hat. Yeah. An, an Ocean X hat.
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, that would support it. E- even if even if you're not really all that concerned about the Baltic Sea anomaly, you know, like I said, these guys have really found some pretty amazing things on the ocean floor. You know, a sunken B seventeen bomber, you know, they've they've been able to to pull out some, you know, really old and rare champagne. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so th- those are all valid discoveries as well. And absolutely. So, so funding somebody that is actually spending the time to, to scour the, the, the floors of these seas and oceans, I think it's a worthwhile cause. I mean, who knows what else they would discover down there? Um, right. you know, so th- their, their ability to continue their missions I think is is a really good thing because they found this. What what could they find next?
1: Yep, hundred percent agree with you there.
2: So go look at these pictures and and tell us what you think. Is this is this potentially a UFO? Is this a leftover piece of Atlantis? You know, is it as Adam and I said, an you know, an ancient civilization structure that it, it has been flooded over. Um, you know, or is it just a very unique rock formation that you know is, is nothing more? Let us know. And one of the best places to let us know that is in our Facebook group. You can search Graveyard Tales. You will you will find the group, which is over six thousand members strong now, and it's oh the, yeah one of the best places on the internet to to share these kind of stories and to, to hear other people's experiences. And it's a safe place. You're not going to get made fun of. Nobody's going to call you nuts. Everybody's just there to kind of support one another. We have a lot of fun in there. Um, and while you're uh, perusing the internet, you can cruise over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, and you can become a patron. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, we've got a really big event coming up. Um, you're going to want to see the video of that. Our $10 patrons get video of of Adam and I doing the recording for each and every show. Um, you also can see videos of the Patreon episodes, which I don't even know how many we've got in there. But we've got a, a oh, pretty know. sizable catalog of other episodes um that you can listen to and they don't always follow our normal format you know they we we get into some fun topics some out there topics we we talk about things that are completely um out of sorts for the traditional graveyard tale show so you should go check it which out. makes it fun yeah it's a lot of fun <clears throat> Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the charts and it helps more people find the show and it just brings more people into the graveyard. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard.
1: See you soon.